listening to the CIPD podcast series. The ability to be continually change-ready is one of the eight key factors that contribute to the most successful organisations. And if leaders and followers can be permanently agile, then the organisation has a greater chance of sustainable success. That's according to Shaping the Future, a major research programme from the CIPD, which examines what drives sustainable organisation performance and what those drivers look like in practice. But what does being agile really mean and what does it take to get there? We'll be hearing from Big Lottery, Standard Chartered and Xerox, each of whom are actively trying to create an agile workforce. First, though, Dr Jill Miller, CIPD advisor and author of the Shaping the Future research and her definition of agility. We refer to agility as the way an organisation can continually adapt and move and change. Shaping the future has highlighted agility as something that organisations really need to embed into everything they do. When it comes to embedding agility in an organisation, Jill says that regardless of shape, size and sector, there are some universal lessons. Well, I think there are there's some common things that every organisation can do to make themselves more agile. And this involves uh, looking at their processes and their systems um, to check that they're as simple as possible without having extra processes you don't need, but also that they're not too restrictive so that people can flex um, and adapt when sort of the challenges and the opportunities come along. Uh, but I think what's most important is looking at an organisation's people and to make sure they have a a change-ready mindset. Standard Chartered is an international bank employing 85,000 people around the world. Jonathan Cormack is the group head of organisation development. I like the dictionary definition of agility, the kind of body position, coordination, strength, that, that, that kind of thing. For us, we've been a really fast-growing organisation, adding about eight to 10,000 people every year. And so agility for us is retaining the strengths of what we see as a highly networked culture, but also doing that in a way that's quite systematic as we grow. The bank garnered praise during the global financial crash for being agile and continuing to grow. It's a good example of where I think Standard Charter did agility really well. For instance, in the banking crisis, inevitably a number of really good people around the world were displaced from their jobs in the, in the collapse of banks and in the retrenchment of other banks. We were really agile in reaching out to those people and saying, hey, Standard Chartered's still growing. We'd love to have a conversation on whether you'd like to join our organisation. So you were quick into the recruiting? Really quick, really quick. We got a specific project team together and very deliberately went after those people that we wanted to join our bank. But being agile isn't just about a moment in time or a single change process. Being agile is an ongoing state, a journey that never ends. Standard Chartered is very aware that complacency is the primary pitfall in the journey towards agility. But Jonathan Cormack reckons there's three vital elements to counter this. One is about having a crystal clear strategy where everybody's very clear on the outcomes that we require. A second one is having a quite a special kind of leadership style, I think, a leadership style that sets really clear outcomes and then gives people the flexibility and empowerment to get on and deliver it so that those closest to the action are the ones that are are taking the decisions. And then the third thing, if you're really empowering people to do that, you need a really strong set of culture and values. And I think there's some of our values that particularly resonate with having an agile organisation. What sort of things do you think you'll... Well, if I pick three in particular, we've got five values, they're all relevant, but just to just choose three... 
creativity. We really value and we reward people who are creative and bring innovative solutions. That the second one would be responsive, and we have got a really responsive culture. I said we're very networked. People will reach out to other people in the organisation who they've never met, and those people will be responsive and help them. And I think the third one would be courageous, being having the courage to actually take empowerment and do something useful with it to deliver on an outcome. Julie Hesselgrove is General Manager at Xerox. She oversees Xerox client executive for a major government contract that they won three years ago. When it comes to agility, she wants to do more than respond effectively to external change. For her, it's about driving real change within the organisation too. I think the most important thing is to reflect here on the real world in as much as whatever you set out to do and whatever you think might happen invariably there's always something that comes along the way to either change requirements in our environment because our client changing their requirements or indeed something internal within our own corporate structure that forces forces change so it's that need to not only react to change external circumstances or indeed and indeed be able to be proactive about generating change as well Working hand-in-hand with a major government department means that Julie has the client to think of too, and she sees helping them to become more agile as part of her role as well. In terms of what we do for our clients, uh, our, our job, and I see our job very much, is assisting them to change and improve the way that they operate. We work for a large um, public sector organisation, a central government department, whose agenda will be very familiar to everybody in terms of some of the challenges that they faced uh, recently over the past 12 months, but equally over previous years with best value and spend constraints, etc. And the service that we provide to our customers is to help them on that change journey. So it's important within our organisation that we too are exponents of change, both being able to change as individuals, but present change in a structured and effective way to our client. So to come back to the question in terms of agility, it's having that ability to react appropriately when circumstances around you change in an unplanned way, but equally to um, develop transformation and change in a planned way as well. Let's move on to how you equip your people to do that, because thinking about the government contract you've, you've mentioned, I mean, the change arc you've been through with that um, must have been extraordinary, because I think you started pre-recession, didn't you? You then went through global crash. You're now contending with huge government cuts. How do you equip your people to serve a client that's going through that sort of change? Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's an excellent question. And for us, our people are the key to that change and, and, and making change real. Our contract is a seven-year contract and we have effectively been through a startup as a small business. Now we're reaching a stage of relative maturity and stability, which of itself is another stage of a journey. Um, so it's important in that journey that you keep um, people feeling comfortable, confident, engaged, aligned with not only where you've been but importantly where you're going and acknowledging that at year four in a seven-year contract you will be in a very very different place to where you were in year one and almost certainly where you will be in years six and seven so setting that ethos that says hey you know our world will change and our people are key enablers to helping us change and helping people feel comfortable with change both personally professionally 
and the opportunity, but also the uncertainty and risk that that brings for individuals is, is, is really important, I feel. So for both Jonathan and Julie, employee empowerment is key to achieving agility. But of course, devolving authority down the hierarchy brings risks with it. But does engendering agility mean that you have to be prepared to cope with the inevitable mistakes people will make when you give them real responsibility? Yes, and I wouldn't say we're we're perfect at that, but you're absolutely right. That that would be the theory. And I wouldn't say we're perfect on empowering people at every level either. Uh, like any organisation, we, we have controls and procedures. So it's certainly something we work at. Is it something particularly difficult for a bank to get its arms around that concept, do you think? For compliance reasons, if nothing else, I suppose is the thought in my head. Yes, in some ways. And I think there's the argument that you need to be able to see the wood for the trees. So, for example, with any policy we have, we say it has to be able to be written on two sides of paper. So you can see we're trying to simplify. So, yes, you have to have a a rigid control environment or a strict control environment, but make it a simple one rather than be monitoring a million things, but not focusing on the five things that if they go badly wrong could really damage us. So agility is not about micromanaging? No, definitely not about micromanaging. I I think it's about real empowerment. I think empowerment's a phrase that's overused at the moment. And I think that setting a very clear outcome, telling people what resources they have to achieve it, and then holding somebody accountable for that outcome, that's what real empowerment's about. In this sort of economic climate, organisations and individuals are less willing to take risks. Julie Hesselgrove is trying to empower her 100-plus employees into being proactive decision-makers, whilst their environment, embedded in a contract with a government department, is one of pay freezes and public sector cuts. So where does that leave her plans for agility? Is the process in danger of suffering from an understandably more cautious workforce? Potentially, if not managed actively and not being led from the front. So the concept of... A risk-free environment, no idea is a bad idea, Um, coming forward with options, contributing and participating in change. One of the things that we've done practically, and it has been a little bit of a push initiative, is encouraging teams to come up with ideas and then them solve the problems. And not all of the ideas that have been come up with are are groundbreaking or particularly radical, but it's just creating a culture where people feel confident and working with their colleagues cross-functionally, perhaps in areas where they're not subject matter experts, to contribute and play a role, and equally seeing the organisation having the, the trust in their ideas to, to implement them um, is, is really valuable. So it's the it's the practice, practice route, you know, do it once, do it twice, and then, you know what, the third time, it's probably coming a little bit naturally and you're not thinking about it. And we've seen that happen over the past two years with some of the business improvement technique projects as we've christened them come to the fore so initially we it was a bit of a tops-down initiative you come up with an idea we'll put a team together to solve the problem initially that was quite a push people felt a little bit uncomfortable behaviorally and trust wise but now we're on the third iteration of that process and we're now seeing a level of maturity and willingness and confidence 
in participating in that process so that our list of potential improvements is getting longer, the willingness of our team members to participate and take part in those is becoming greater. So we're starting to see more of a pull from the organisation than what previously was a push through that initiative. And we encourage all of our people to participate in those business improvement techniques. In fact, so much so... Um, everybody's personal objective one of their personal objectives is aligned to that as an objective so initially we set the you will do at least one a year kind of tops down mandate but eventually people are getting more and more engaged and they're actually doing more than one now so this is about embedding it as part of the long-term thinking absolutely so it's actually giving them skills for their future as well as our organization's future as well there's a reciprocal benefit in, in developing that sk- those skills and investing time in those types of initiatives. The idea that if you empower everyone in the organisation, you become a better functioning and more effective outfit at every level is appealing. But does every employee want to be empowered? Indeed, can all people across all cultures, borders and levels be empowered? Jonathan Cormack. You can imagine that in different cultures and different individuals um, are able to receive empowerment in a different way. And some people don't like empowerment. So how do you contend with that then? Do you just accept that in certain regions, when you're dealing with certain cultures, it's not something you can embed perhaps as securely as you can in others? Um, I think it's different, and I firmly believe it comes down to individual differences. So, So my view is that an individual can transcend a national culture. So therefore, if we recruit the right kind of people who are courageous, creative, responsive, trustworthy and real international people, those those are our five values, then they will be able to, to receive empowerment. And I've observed that people don't always accept empowerment, even at quite senior levels in an organisation. It's interesting you say that, because I suppose from what you read about agility now, there is this, this idea being sold that it is something that everyone can embrace. It doesn't sound as if you're quite in agreement with that. I th- no, I, I, I don't, because I think it requires people who are prepared to give and people who are prepared to take empowerment. And I guess in the past we might have looked at organisational structures and organisation design and maybe quite mechanistic processes to build agility. I'm increasingly of the mind that it's more about behaviours. So it's state of mind. So you can train people... To a degree, you can introduce systems, but it is a state of mind. Yeah, and I suppose also you can encourage people. So, so maybe it might be true to say that within all of us, there's the um, the ambition to be be creative, be courageous, that those kinds of things. And so, therefore, it's about having the right leaders that are prepared to encourage people to to get up and have a go. So, given the leadership is inspiring enough, does everyone have the potential to be agile? I put that to Julie Hesselgrove. Do you feel that you can embed that sort of mindset and skill set in everyone who works for you? (laughs) Uh, I think as a leader, you've got to believe that you can. And I think that that needs to be an aspiration. It's fair to say that with any change, when we started this, we we recognised the early adopters, we we recognised the evangelists, the people that got behind it quickly. And inevitably, you've probably got 20% of you, crudely, but it's the old 80-20 rule, isn't it? 20% of those will go with you, and of the 80%, you've probably got 20% that will never do it. And then the the rest that kind of sit in the middle. And slowly, I think, our our, our barometer's shifted, so we've now got a greater 
proportion engaged um, in that process. The extent to which you'll always get the the hard to reach 20% with you is always the challenge. But again, I believe that you ta- if you take the majority, then the others will either come with you or will select out. Leave you. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so ultimately, you, you get there one way or the other. And do you know what? It's it's not for everybody. You know, people engage with their world of work and their colleagues in very, very different ways. And, you know, it's not for everybody. But it's about creating an environment where if you're not on the bus, yes. it feels an uncomfortable place absolutely. to be. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. As opposed to the majority not sitting on the bus and, and looking at those that are. So it's a more inclusive process. And, you know, ultimately, people do have the right to either get on board or self-select out. Big Lottery gives out charitable funds to the tune of a million pounds every single day. But two years ago, they decided that the size and scale of the organisation had inadvertently reduced its agility. Darmendra Khan is director of Big Lottery England. What's happened over the years is that that machine has taken away judgment, taken away flexibility, taken away the ability for people to interact with each other, both internally but also externally. And part of the agility is trying to find ways in which we have heard from our staff surveys annually that they love being here, but actually the system and the way some of our processes dumb down their judgment, uh, don't help them make connections across the piece, and don't enable them to provide a better service which they know they can now, that's interesting. So your people know how they want to be. They know how they want to work better. They're telling you. So how have you made that happen or how are you making that happen for them? I think one of the most important things uh, about our uh, our change management process, and, you know, you've heard this many times, people say change is constant, and it is. It is a reality. And, you know, an organ, a living, breathing organism is made up of a series of events, constant events, where you keep the life, uh, the, the blood flow of organisations going, and that's our people. So our funding management system that we have currently is based on a workflow system that tells every member of staff what they should do at the next stage okay and it's so about, very structured it's very structured it it minimizes risk um, minimizes failure in process uh, and gets the job done of a particular kind but does it provide job satisfaction does it provide the best result in terms of funding possibly no it could be much much more improved and so we made a decision to go for a new system and so we worked with a group of staff and so we asked them um, if you were to change a system what would it look like and we canvassed the views of staff. And that created the first kind of blueprint of the kind of organisation we should have. And so for us, it's being able to make sure that we replay that story authentically. Um, don't pull any punches, you know, being really clear that we are maintaining our ambition to be a more intelligent, cheaper, faster, better funder, a more light-footed, agile, flexible Organization. Yes, I'm intrigued by what you've been saying about... It sounds as if you you are very good at drawing on local expertise throughout your organisation. So you listen to what people do in their day job and it feeds back up into your strategy in a genuine way. Absolutely. I think one of the things that we're really committed to doing, and we've learned this is the right way to do it, actually. We're not perfect. We've, we've made mistakes like many organisations. But actually, I think that if you are clear or as clear as you can be about where you want to go as an organisation and you believe that the people are your your only resource to get you there, you need to be able to work from their starting point, not in a glib romantic way, but in the sense that you're being really clear about the change you want to achieve and the fact that actually people will all have to play their part in that change process.
The key factor in being agile for Big Lottery is to listen to their people. Now more than ever, in the period ahead of us, we need to keep a hold on our values um, as an organisation in terms of our values towards people, the kind of organisation we want to be, and not think that we can do something around improving customer efficiency whilst we treat our staff really badly. So it's applying emotional intelligence to commercial outcomes. It's completely about balancing um, the understanding of why people come to work, i.e. the emotional connection of what you do with the rational aspect of delivery. And those two, you don't separate out and do different boxes. You do that at your, you know, at your cost. Trying to measure agility isn't easy, but the CIPD has put together a tool to help. CIPD advisor Dr Jill Miller. Agility is a very difficult concept to measure. Um, and within our, our practical tool, we do have a diagnostic which organisations can use um, to see how agile they are, looking at how agile their systems, processes, people within their context are. But also, I think it, it's also quite obvious to an organisation when they're not agile. It sounds from what you're saying, the point to really grasp is that this is an ongoing process, isn't it? You cannot make your organisation agile and then feel, job done. It's something you have to constantly keep evolving. Yeah, I think definitely organisations need to make sure they're constantly having a check-up to see how agile they are, especially as the economic context is continually changing. It's very important that organisations don't step into the steady state and go back to sort of the comfortable state of things. So there's a danger that if you feel like you have agility cracked, then complacency can creep in. But is there also a danger that the quest for agility can make an organisation too reactive to events? I asked Jonathan Cormack if agility for Standard Chartered had become too much about knee-jerk short-termism. I prefer to say being opportunistic. And if I look back <laughs> okay. at occasions where we've been really agile, I think it's where we've seen an opportunity and responded to it. And that's why I think a clear strategy is important. For the last 10 years, we've been crystal clear that we want to be the best international bank in Asia, Africa and the Middle East. We've been really clear on our markets and we've been really clear on that strategy. And I think once you're clear on that, you can be infinitely opportunistic because you're clear on the overall outcome, the overall direction that the bank wants to go and that's what stops it being short-termist. OK, I'm with you. So agility within a dedicated long-term structure. Yes. At Xerox, three years into a seven-year contract, Julie Hesselgrove feels they haven't yet reached the end of the journey. But when it comes to staying agile, the horizon is always receding. There's always more to do. There's, there's always more to do. And it's, it's, it is getting beyond continuous improvement, I think, for us. We've spent probably the best part of two years now with the kind of business improvement team-based approach, um, which we're now starting to see, as I said earlier, more of a push from the business than a pull. Um, but we need to continue that to bring on new clients, bring on new services, and continue to... to help our people feel comfortable with change because it's not something that you can ever rest on your laurels with I think you've got to keep on the journey you never quite reach the end. Has your own thinking about change and agility evolved over the last two or three years? I think it has yeah I, I think you build a greater empathy and a greater understanding with people whether or not they be your own people or whether or not they be within your client environment as well and understanding that empathy and understanding change from someone else's perspective is probably the greatest um, thing you can do to actually deliver sustainable change, I think. 
So agility is a vital behaviour and culture trait that organisations need not only to embrace, but also firmly embed in all planning and activities for the business. A change-ready mindset with the right skills and structures in place, which are sufficiently flexible to allow for change, will create true agility. That's it for this week. You'll find links to the topics we've discussed in the show notes at cipd.co.uk forward slash podcasts, where you'll also find the Shaping the Future research and the new diagnostic tool to help you assess your own organisation's agility. We'd really welcome your feedback on this podcast and the other CIPD podcasts, so please do click the new Give Us Some Feedback link on the podcast homepage. Next time, we'll be discussing youth unemployment and the business case for recruiting amongst the young jobless. Join me then. You've been listening to the CIPD podcast series.